This is PPC Zone September 2022, and we're talking about what's working now in PPC. I'm your host, Jill Saskin-Gales, and I created this event to elevate new perspectives and insights in our industry. I'm here with Luna Rocha, paid media strategist at Gatorworks, who just spoke about leveraging UGC for your paid social campaigns. I'm here with Ashwin Balakrishnan, marketing lead at Optimizer, who just spoke about three tests you can run to optimize your Google Ads RSA performance. And I'm here with Amalia Fowler, principal strategist and marketing professor, who just spoke about the most common Google Ads errors and how to avoid them. Welcome all to our live panel. We have had a lot of questions here today, so we are going to get through as many as we can over the next 15 to 20 minutes. So first off, we have a question here for Luna, who spoke earlier about UGC and working with influencers. Mike wants to know, what is the price range for working with an influencer? Luna? So it really depends. And luckily, that's something that you can filter for in these uh, influencer search engines. But um, generally, if you're using a micro-influencer, which is someone with you know a couple of thousand followers, it's going to be roughly like 50 to a couple hundred um, per post. And it just goes up based on how many followers. I mean, of course, someone like uh, Kim Kardashian can charge $100,000 per post. But um, yeah, it really depends on uh, how many followers they have. Got it. Thank you. And next up, we had a question for Ashwin from Riley. Uh, Riley wants to know, uh, you spoke about um, ad strength and how that relates to RSA performance. So does ad strength have anything to do with the optimized for best performing ads ad rotation setting? Ashwin? Oh, we can't hear you right now. I think you, there we go. There we go, there we go, sorry. Um, no, there's there's no correlation. Um, this has been proven conclusively. PPC Hero actually published a blog post where I think someone from iProspect conducted a study where they had two, two groups of RSAs, one which was um, high ad strength and the other one was they, they pinned stuff, they, they did things that Google recommended as not best practices, and there was absolutely no difference in performance. So Google, when they look at your best performing ads, they're going to look at signals like keywords, they're going to look at intent, they're going to look at actual historical performance, they're not going to look at ad strength. So ad strength is just something that's, it's a guideline, and if you want to completely ignore it, that's fine. But best case scenario, you can use it as a measuring stick, but you don't have to use it as the benchmark of success. So to be straightforward, no, if that's not factoring. Great, thanks for clarifying that for us. And then this next question comes from Gavin. I know we're all Google Ads practitioners here, so everyone might want to weigh in on this one. Gavin says, hearing that broad match use in Google Ads has gotten better, and the recommendations I always see are to use broad match, but I feel from the past that crazy results would occur, so a little gun shy to test it out. Do you think it is different now? So I'd actually love to go around the horn. I'm sure we all have opinions on this. Broad match keywords in Google Ads, would you test it or not? Uh, and what's one thing you might use to help you determine whether or not to test it? I see Amalia smiling here. Would you like to go first, Amalia? Sure. Um, 
So I too was very gun shy with Broadmatch. And I will say that in most of my accounts, it makes up less than 5% of the total keywords. Um, I still do not trust the matches. I mean, I, I said I'm a Google skeptic and I have reconsidered some of that, but like it still runs deep. I still don't trust it. And I work with a lot of clients who have limited budget. So that's a big factor. So I would say if you're going to use it, or, and I will also say I work in lead gen mostly. So people in e-com have very different opinions about this. And that's very fair. Uh, in lead gen, in my accounts with my small budgets, I don't use it because it tends to overspend. It tends to take a big portion of the budget. I will test it and use it if I am confident that my negative keyword list is chef's kiss, that it is the most robust it can be. And then I'll give it, give it a try. Yeah, I do have some accounts that have it, but I never start with it. And I'm still very, I would say a late adopter of anything automated in Google, but this one is for good data backed reasons. Got it. And I guess Luna or Ashwin, did either of you want to add a different perspective or a plus one to Amalia on that one? How do you feel? Uh, I would agree with most of what Amalia said. We are not using a broad match for most of our clients. And I think it really does come down to having, um, you know, constantly looking at search terms, making sure that the negatives are all up to date and you're not wasting spend on irrelevant searches. Um, the only time that we do use Broadmatch as a general rule is for Google ad grant accounts because we're trying to get as much visibility there as possible. That's a great call out. Yeah, there's always exceptions to the rule, right? Ashwin, did you want to add anything here? Yeah, so like everything else in Google's machine learning, a lot of this is predicated on how much data is there. So if you are targeting keywords that don't have a lot of search volume, probably not going to get the best results out of broad match. But if you are targeting keywords, for example, in a very popular consumer product segment that gets millions of searches every single day, Google's going to have data in terms of what searches from those keywords end up becoming uh, related searches that, that can work well. So. Again, it depends entirely on your business, what keywords you're targeting. Um, more mainstream businesses tend to have better results with, with broad match, but more niche businesses where the volumes are low, you may not have the, the best results. In that scenario, I would say you can probably use it to identify negative keywords um, and just kind of clean the campaign up a bit. But do keep in mind that when you use broad match, you may end up paying for keywords that have higher CPCs than you're used to. So keep an eye on budgets. If that's something that's important to your business that if you don't end up uh, spending too much, you may not want to use Broadmatch. And one more thing I'll add to that, if you're gun shy to test Broadmatch, I'd recommend testing a dynamic ad group first. Like from most control to least control, let's say it's like exact match and then phrase match. And then it's a huge leap to get to Broadmatch. Um, so I would say, like, if you want to test more of it, a dynamic ad group, I feel like, has a little bit more control. You know, you pick your specific landing page targets. And if that works, then you want to go further than broad match. Whereas if dynamic does not work for you, broad match isn't going to work for you either. I know we could have a whole PPC zone all about broad match. We do have some other questions here that I want to get to today. So Riley had a question here following up on Amalia's presentation. Um, a question about the keywords. Is there any kind of rule of thumb about what percentage of keywords should be getting impressions or clicks? And as a follow-up or a search impression share, part of that consideration, realizing that it depends, you know, do you have a rule of thumb about that? 
It's a really good question. Um, and you've somewhat answered it by saying it's subjective. So it really is contextual and it really does depend. But I will, I will try to, I will try to answer it. Typically, when I'm auditing an account, I'm looking at, um, I'm not always looking at lifetime. I'm looking at like the past three months. So I'm taking into consideration seasonality, the type of business, um, how much they're spending, overall impressions and clicks. Like if the keyword in the account that's driving the most conversion has like five clicks, well, then it's not, it's not that big of a deal. That's a really low number, but you get what I'm trying to say. If it doesn't have a ton of volume, anyways, it's not as big of a deal that there are keywords without volume. And I wouldn't say that it's an immediate red flag. But in every account that I've audited and helped them reorganize, they've almost always become more effective. I think across the board, they actually have become more effective. And I know Jill does a lot of audits as well. Um, So I would say that it's a red flag for me if you have probably upwards of 20% of your keywords not getting clicks and impressions. Um, But again, depends how big the account is, how many keywords are in the account, how many campaigns you have, etc. So I like to look at ratios and I like to look at percentages. But you can also do the same pivot table with conversions and see like sometimes I'm in an account where they're all getting clicks, but 10% of the keywords are getting all of the conversions. And so to me, I want to give those other keywords an opportunity because we know that the machine learning is pointing everything in that direction, but maybe you don't have enough budget in that campaign to actually test what could come out of those other keywords. So that's kind of the thinking behind the ratio in the first place. I don't know if I answered your question at all, but um, it's great context for Riley. And like I've seen accounts where like 90% of keywords have not received an impression. So, you know, it really, as I said, depends on a lot of factors with some good guidance for thinking about it. So we've been in Google ads land for a while here, but we do have a TikTok ads question for Luna. Um, Mike wants to know if you can give any kind of guidance on which type of TikTok ads are most expensive. So, um, I mentioned a couple of different TikTok ads and out of those, the ones that are most expensive are the top view ads because they get the most visibility. They're the very first thing that the user sees when they open the app. So um, you're going to have a higher you know, cost per click and um, higher impressions as well. But um, yeah, you can generally expect those ads to be the most expensive. And the most cost effective are Spark ads, which are the ones that are like a Facebook boost. Got it. Thanks for that, Luna. Mm-hmm. And we have a question now here as a follow-up on Ashwin's talk. Uh, Ashwin, you had mentioned that you know, two RSAs per ad group can be a good way to go. Gavin says, you know, two different RSAs can sound tough to make. That's a lot of assets we're talking about. Um, maybe try different landing pages from the RSA. Do you have any data on kind of landing page testing, whether that may be a reason to try two different RSAs? So we haven't. We haven't looked at landing pages, but what I can say is that, um, yes, two fully fleshed out RSAs are going to be tough to make. You don't have to fill out all 15 uh, headlines and all four descriptions. So the data that I showed earlier, I believe the sweet spot was around um, seven, six to six to nine headlines per ad. That gave you a bit of a, a nice uh, bump to your impressions and is reasonably straightforward to build. If you're looking at two fully fleshed out RSAs, you may have trouble finding enough to say. 
One thing I would recommend though is making sure that if you have if you have multiple RSAs in an ad group, have them distinct from each other in some way. So maybe one ad you're talking about um, the value proposition of what you're selling. And then in the other, you might incorporate testimonials from customers or, or something different. So then you get an idea like this is ad A has a clear subject matter and then ad B has a different subject matter. And then you understand what people are responding to. But if, you, if you're just talking about the same thing across both, it doesn't really make sense to have two RSAs. If you don't have enough to say, then I would say limit it to one RSA. You still get good performance. You're not going to get that extra uh, bump in, in impressions. But uh, what you can then do is take one RSA, build it out really well, and then be clear with your pinning. Uh, one thing that you can do is, is pin multiple things to the same position. And then you can go ahead and tell Google, for example, I always want one of these three headlines to show first, right? So if you're in a regulated industry, for example, you have to show a certain piece of information in your ads. That's a great way to get it done and still have some variety in messaging. So what we're hearing is if you don't have much to say, don't force yourself. One RSA is fine. If you are going to yeah. do two RSAs, do it because you're genuinely testing different messaging and not just to tick a box. Yes. Sounds great. And so we have another hot topic that's been asked about in the comments here, PMAX. So wondering if marketers who are managing multiple small business accounts, Dave is asking if they've been challenged getting negative keywords approved. Um, so for those who may or may not know, if you, last I've heard of this at least, it may have changed, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but if you do work with certain Google teams, they can manually add negative keywords for you, but then We've talked about people being able to add their own negative keywords. So I don't have personal experience with this. Does someone um, able to add context here about adding negative keywords for Pmax? So the last I heard, I'm going to disclaimer this, but the last I heard, and it is September 2022, so next month when you're watching this back, look it up again, um, is that you can only add negative keywords at the account level by yourself. Um, but if you want them at the campaign level, at the PMAX level, you have to have a rep or agency person add them. You still cannot do that alone. That is the last I heard. Um, I also heard, and I say heard because I don't run them because I don't trust them because Google skeptic. Um, also I've heard they're much better for e-com, but last I heard, uh, if you have that keyword, a keyword present in a different part of the account, then Pmax won't target that keyword, which is why I had that little disclaimer in my seven minutes, which is if you're running Pmax, ignore me about ease of management and cleaning up keywords that have no impressions and no clicks, um, because that's going to make your Pmax go wild. Ashwin, do you know differently? And are you about to just squash everything I just said? Um, it's you, it's pretty close. Pretty close. No, we, we, don't, we don't run Pmax, but I have heard largely what you've heard. Uh, with one small change, I think you, you can only get campaign level negative keywords added through a Google rep. I don't think agencies can do it themselves. Oh, I meant an agency rep, but I may uh, yeah, not have yeah. said the yeah, you have word, to. so I appreciate yeah. the clarification. You do have to go through Google ultimately. Yeah, so and so to answer, to answer Dave's question, um, <laughs> it is a challenge. They probably don't have access. Most of the accounts I audit would not be able to do it. So you have to either not run it or you have to do it one of the hacky kind of ways, um, which is just add everything you want as a negative keyword, as a keyword somewhere, or have account level negatives 
but then it gets really tricky with tricky with branded keywords and branded campaigns. Um, so yeah, we'll blame That's Google one for my thing. unsatisfying answer on that question. No, it's the number one complaint I've heard about PMAX, especially for smaller budgets, smaller business owners that like, if it gets great performance, which sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, you know, you look at your insights tab and you see that most of it's coming from brand. You're like, I don't want that. I have a brand campaign already. But if you want to add brand negatives, you have to negative them across your whole account, not just the specific campaign, unless you're large enough to have a Google rep. Which so is why there's... Know, it feels like every week there's a new announcement about PMAX and features changing. So perhaps this will be changing for us soon. There is also a tool that will generate... Um, all the variations of a specific word. So you can go to it, put your brand name in it, make it generate every single misspelling and then add them all as keywords in your branded campaign and then just try to get ahead of every single possible version that could ever come through. Um, but then my pivot table trick doesn't work unless you filter that out. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, our time this evening is almost up. So thank you once again to Luna, Ashwin and Amalia for joining us today. And also a big thank you to Joe Martinez and Fred Valleys for mentoring our speakers. All right, it has been a Google heavy day today. So next month at PPC Zone, October, 2022, I'm thrilled to present PPC More Than Google and Meta, featuring experts in Microsoft ads, Pinterest ads, and TikTok ads. Go to ppc.zone to set a reminder. You don't want to miss it. And to learn more about PPC Zone and our speakers, or to apply to speak at an upcoming event, visit ppc.zone. I'm your host, Jill Saskin-Gales. You can find me on Twitter at Jill Saskin-Gales. I look forward to seeing you next time in the zone. <laughs>